Welcome to another edition of Hit The Lights Podcast. I have a uh, very special guest for the third episode of the second series. I have Mr. John Bagley. How are you? Hello, Gary. I'm pleased to meet you. I'm okay, thank you. Are you uh, bearing up well and keeping busy? Uh, very busy. I really can say I've not noticed the difference. Probably more so busy, really, uh, in, in these tragic times, unfortunately. But... Uh, Obviously, being sort of key members after a lot of companies, so uh, and supporting, yeah. So it's been uh, tricky, but it's been interesting. No, that's brilliant. So I understand you've been in the industry for quite a while. Uh, yeah, I'm. I don't think I've. I. I haven't come through the normal channel routes like apprenticeship, and uh, you know the normal sort of built up through, then going self-employed. I started out many years ago. Uh, back in the mid 80s, uh, into it, I come through the communications. Uh, but going right back for that, um, obviously getting on a bit now, but still keen as ever. Uh, I was obviously born in the mid 60s, so quite a long time ago, and grew up through the 70s into the 80s, and not knowing, like, I didn't have a clear positive what I wanted to do when I left school, but I had massive influences through like my uncle who was into transport uh like a lorry driver he took us all over the country he opened my eyes up to the industries uh met many people through like through him just watching people i love watching people but going right back into the 70s uh my uncle was a telephone engineer and on days when he was free in our school holidays i used to go along with him and obviously I was absolutely fascinated with wires and electrics and stuff like that. And, uh, I had this massive um, mechanical sort of like, no, not knowledge, um, interest and in anything mechanical. And it was like typical as you're growing up as a boy, you had the Meccano and you had McLego and stuff like that. And I, I love taking things apart. And then my uncle got involved with like restoring a few old military vehicles and I got, got involved with that in the early teenage years, rewiring that, working on engines and gearboxes. So the mechanical side was there and I was just fascinated. Um, then obviously coming through uh, school, I've done my GSEs and a couple of O-levels, but obviously um, having, uh, I wanted to go on, I wanted to go on to uni at the time. But my dad was a steeplejack. Uh, he had a very interesting job. We used to go with him now and then on the good days, but obviously it was, it was very, yeah, growing up, it was just hard. Very, very hard. Moving on from there, we went to school. He didn't, he, he didn't give me any support. If I was going to college, he told me to get out and get a job and stuff like that, or I'll be homeless. So at the age of 16, it was a case of go out and get a job. And I went through about 20 jobs between the age of 16 to 19, but always had an interest in electrics and communications and stuff like that. And eventually my uncle offered me, uh, got in touch with his boss and offered me a job as a young, uh, young, youngster, like a, like a mate to an electrician or a mate to a communications. And I was hoping that he would have gone down the apprentice route, uh, but it was a case of like, you start Monday, you're back. You pack your bag and you're down the road to London. So I spent, uh, about a year working around London area, mainly staying around the King's Cross area. And then we worked at East London, South London. There's a lot of work around the city centre, city centre of London, High Harbour and stuff like that. We used to do a lot of work for Fergaman Press. It was very interesting because they own, um, the Daily Mirror. 
and uh, so we got to work in their buildings quite a lot. Uh, I got to work alongside lots of other engineers. Um, we had local engineers in London and electricians as well because we used to fit out uh, a lot of suite, uh, like executive suites and um, editing floors and stuff like that, ready for new, like uh, magazines or papers or whatever the role in that. And we used to have something like 24 hours to complete it all in, so there was a lot of uh, rushing in, working through the night and stuff. So at the age of 19, working down London in uh, 1985 was a fantastic time. It was great. But then, obviously, getting very good at what I used to do. I was the youngest on the t- on the team out of about 10. We Obviously, we were based in Birmingham. Uh, worked out of Birmingham, but obviously, we worked all over the country, um, as well as London, Bristol, and various on. I think we got to 1987. Uh, there was a very man- managerial sort of structure where the management sold out. Sold out to uh, some companies because we used to work for uh, Ericsson's at the time. Uh, they were a big player in the communication field. We uh, systems. We, we used to install all the um, sort of like before the data infrastructure. We installed the communication infrastructure wiring, and we started installing the phone systems and stuff, various other equipments alongside with the communication platforms. And then talking about the management sold out. Uh, new company, new people took over, and it was not a very good company to work for. So the the old management set up a new company, and I went along to work for them. But obviously, three years later, in two thousand uh, nineteen ninety, they dissolved the company due to financial issues and stuff like that. And then that's when I had the opportunity to set up on my own. I contracted to. That comp- a company called um, Mercury at the time, uh, Mercury Communications, and spent six years with that, that company um, as a contractor. Uh, and then I started uh, running larger jobs for these guys. Um, had about ten engineers under me. Um, still young at the time. Uh, built up quite a bit of experience in that field. Obviously, then that that company then got taken over by Siemens in the mid 90s, and then that put me in the field where I had literally no work for a bit so I used my hands and skills I started doing any, little bits of jobs here little bit of jobs there uh, I was friends with an electrician uh, helped him out a few times done a few rewires um, but going back to electrics I used to work do some electrics on the side with another, uh, with another chap but he was an old boy and he was struggling a bit and I used to help being younger I used to help with the with the first fix and stuff like that so it was sort of like it was interesting and this is a sort is this the sort of field I want to go down? But at the time, it's like no one was offering sort of like you're working for yourself. I got a mortgage and a house and stuff like that, so I had to keep money coming in. And I'm thinking if I go down the apprentice route, then obviously I'm going to, have to take a big drop in money and stuff like that. So, but I started to pick up in my field again in the communications with a company over in Leicester, who then who used to have a national, the nationwide contract for New Look and Next. And over the past, over the next, I'd say the next 10 years, from 2000, sorry, 1995 to about 2014, 15, I spent, no, sorry, more than that, sorry, it was like 18 years. I spent the next uh, working all over the country, working in Europe, uh, doing contracts in like all over, like Paris, um, Germany, uh, Netherlands. Uh, it was quite interesting, lots of work in Ireland. Uh, Mainly predominantly working on my own as well, running like large projects and installs. So that was very interesting. I got to work with some real nice people. 
got to work with some real nice um, electricians as well. So we helped each other, obviously doing containment uh, and conduit and stuff like that as you do in retail. In 2010, I decided that I really, I had a large jobs coming on board. Uh, I had uh, three guys working for me and we were asked to take on the electrical side. So that was interesting. I had a good mate I've known since 1995 because we had a couple of electricians working for us doing a lot of containment and uh, conduit work over the years. So I asked him to come on board and he helped me for a bit. So we used to do the wires and he, he'd do the certification together and stuff like that. So I thought, you know, and then he had problems and he disappeared. So it left me in a position where I had a lot of electrical work coming in, but obviously weren't qualified to like sign it off. So I decided to go down the uh, a logic route. I I enrolled onto one of these, what you call the CPS schemes now, is it? Um, so I qualified. I'd done Part P, I'd done, uh, at the time then I'd done 17th, and I'd done, I'd done uh, various other courses, uh, 2391 and stuff like that. Um, but then I had a breakup in my life with my partner I was living with in 2012-13. So the, the qualification, I didn't get a chance to finish the qualifications at the time. So if we maybe take a step back then, obviously there's yeah. quite, a, quite a lot of your career has been communications. It has, yes. All aspects, yes. Um, so what, uh, sort of works were you completing then for these various clients, like the, the next and, and, and alike? What sort of, uh, installations were you completing for them? Okay. A project would be, uh, a new store. So, uh, I would get handed, uh, the drawings. I'd go for it, meet the reverence, um, site contractor who was wearing, obviously, all the RAMs and all the, uh, PPE, you know, all that goes with site work at the time. It, it depends as well. It, it, if, if it was a site within a site within a site, there was always like several sort of inductions and health and safety to get through. So, um, we used to install, obviously, going into a next store, something like any, any big store, you had all the, um, network infrastructure. That was the, that was the main thing I was doing, installing all the network for the phones, the data, the tills, the footfall, um, the you know the wall counters and uh, scan views and stuff like that so it was a case of like you work to the drawing we put uh, all the stuff into the locations and then we'd set up all the comms cabs then i'd then i'd install the phone system then i'd commission it then we'd meet the relevant uh other engineers like the alarm engineer providing the network for them the uh, fire alarm providing the network for them for the the obviously telematics and stuff and then Working with electricians because they'd done all the containment at the time because that was, you know, contract. Sometimes we worked together and done it together. Um, so yeah, the, the, the infrastructure, the data backbone infrastructure, Cat5, Cat6, pretty much tied everybody together. Anybody was installing tech within the shops. So the only person that I didn't really get involved with really was the paint and decorators. Okay. So when you talk about like, um, installing your comms cables and bits and pieces, is that generally uh, like extend to things like CCTV or anything like that? It does, yes, yes. So that was another field I moved into in the late 2000s. Um, got interested because we, at the time of early 2000s, moving onwards, everything was moving over from the traditional analog and, uh, sort of like PBX systems, uh, traditional telephone systems, with them moving over to IP platforms. 
which I got involved with them. And I thought, you know, looking at if you can do communications and IP platforms and Wi-Fi, then the next level I'd move on to would be CCTV. So throughout my communications course, as uh, well, sort of like world, I took on loads of different courses in that to qualify to obviously install their, their equipment at the time because obviously you have to be accredited for what they do. Um, and then I was thinking, well, at the end of the day, you, you're a bit of a cable junkie, so if you can install a bit of cable in and install it to a certain level of regs and that, and then I guess the electrical world was as that same. Mm. Is there quite a bit of um, governance over the installation of uh, communications cabling and, and bits and pieces? Because obviously we're, we're probably very familiar with the electrical side of things, and it's probably quite loosely covered in terms of you know, segregation and, and bits and pieces like that for, for noise. But is there much governing in the way of uh, regulations and bits and pieces for communications? Yes, there is. There was, um, I, I did want to do, which I never got around, uh, to do a BTEC on the communication, um, installations, but pretty much, uh, I read a lot of the, um, electrical installation, uh, requirements and, and obviously segregation was the main thing away from, you know, but, there was a lot of people in the field. There was a lot of lash-ups. If, if there's anything running parallel, like a pipe or a gas pipe, an SWA, people used to just cable tie to it. And it was so, it was just so wrong. It was just annoying. You know, we'd put containment up, uh, where possible and, you know, in ceilings. So as what applies to electrical, we, we try to keep the communications tidy and neat. You've seen some of horrendous pictures over the years, what, you know, communications and data are like. They, they obviously, like electrics or water or gas, they all can cause damage, kill, burn, fire. There's still uh, re- regulations on where and what you can install and you can't install it. So what's some of the um, the most challenging work you found? Was there a particular project that, that sticks in your memory? Yeah, I I had one project in at the time, uh, which could have been a, a big game changer. I've had a lot, quite a few over the years. Some nice jobs actually, but one that stuck out I was on for about uh, six months. Uh, it was a company called um, Dunlop, uh, based in Holford's in Coventry, and I was hired. We got, I got involved, let's say at the time in Mercury, and I was part of their installation team. Uh, I used to go out with their um, engineer manager, and we used to look at some large jobs. So I was based there for about six seven months and we had the whole contract i think at the time i mean back in the uh mid 90s it was like i think it was about a six hundred thousand pound contract to upgrade all the existing comms network and move all the existing panel in and everything to a new location and we had to do every factory and this the site at the time uh existed on a hundred acre site so i had about uh at the peak uh, I had about 20 guys I was responsible for, uh, setting out the work. Uh, obviously you're trying to like, you're running, you're running the day to day program, you're checking up on them, the health and safety side of it. You're doing any, any, you know, all the risk assessments and stuff that was needed for certain areas. Cause obviously it was a production site that made tires and various other, uh, equipment for the uh, aerospace and, uh, network and stuff like that background so obviously we were working a lot of hazards so we worked alongside the security for obviously that gets access we worked alongside the uh, engineering works the maintenance uh so yeah that was a very interesting uh job that was really uh spent a lot of time there um and then obviously 
during the during the end of the stage of the job, so I was offered the full time um, position there. Uh, so, but I didn't want to take it because I liked what I do and I like I was loyal to the company at the time. And God knows what would have gone, um, mm. where would have ended up today, really. Yeah. But sadly, half that uh, site now has been decommissioned and it's now a retail park. So it was quite sad, really. So maybe. Maybe you could fill us in on a little bit more of the, because it's probably something I'm not quite au fait with. Obviously, I've done a bit of testing in the past on communications cable, and I know you kind of the basic noise testing and bits and pieces. Is there is there much else that you would um, yeah, complete? Like um, like anything, if you run anything in parallel with uh, high induction uh, conductors like mains, you get a lot of interference, magnetic interference, and stuff like that, and. It depends on how the cables, what type of cable you're using, cheap cable, you'll pick up induction, cross torque, um, and stuff like that. And it can severely affect the, the data flow down there as well. So if you use a good quality cable, um, we had a lot of problems with certain sites where they were picking up a lot of radio interference. So we had to use a lot of screen cables. So obviously that's eliminate any sort of induction from any electrostatics and like that, E&M and stuff like that. Um, yeah. But yeah, testing was, yeah, we, we used to use fluke testers because we used to do a array of tests on each cable. A bit like, um, it's similar like it's a continuity test. Uh, it's similar to a, uh, you know, any leakage and stuff like that. So yes, um, you, you end to end and then you obviously there are certain resistances put down each, each pair of cables and then you get the reading out and then that verified that cable. So that's the stuff then we used to give the customers all the keep on file. So each one then. Generally, then a good installation used to be last, I think, five to ten years. But then it depends how the customer treats it and how the customer, how it's used. Did you kind of diversify into both fields then? The comm side was always there. It was always the main um, uh, backbone. It was always the main bread. It was the breadwinner mainly because it was. Uh, I started to build up a lot of customer database myself. Uh, plus, I used to subcontract to a few companies as well. Um, I used to get um, a lot of companies ring me up. My name has passed around a lot. Um, as obviously, you know, any any projects that used to come up sometimes, certain companies. Um, but it, it's that same old knowledge. I didn't want to work on big sites. I didn't want to get involved with long term projects. You're away from home, and you, you know, it's that old site thing where people are working for agencies and they're on site, and you're just there. And it's, that, that wasn't for me. I was quite happy to do the, the odd week or three, four days. So Obviously, one of the other things you mentioned as well was about uh, running your own business and setting up on yourself. So um, what was that like? Is there any uh, advice or tips you can take away from that that maybe others could learn from? Uh, yeah. <laughs> the early days, it was quite funny because I had no experience of running my own company, no knowledge uh, or anything like that. It was a case of like, we turned up the office on Monday morning. Uh, sorry, to, sorry to let you know, lads. You, as from Friday, you're all, um, you're all redundant. Um, company went to receivership. But we got the use of the tools and the vans we were using at that time for about six weeks. So that that was a big help. That was a big setup. So it's not the case we like dropped in it and then what do we do? So we had work and we were asked to carry on. So we just worked on a self-employed basis and then obviously. Working with like self-employed electricians and all the other other sort of trades, I used to ask questions on how do you do this, how do you do that, get yourself good accountants and stuff like that. 
keep a notebook, keep this, and then obviously do your invoicing. And the, you know, the early days. So everything was used to be like my early invoices used to be uh, wrote on like blotting paper books. So you do your hours and where you was, and then you rip it off, put it in the post. Uh, <laughs> this is the very early days we worked before uh, fast broadbands and emails. So yeah, you know, things for the post, and then they used to get it, and then about a week later you get a check. Yeah. <laughs> uh, or you know, and all the case of like, uh, so that worked for quite a few years, and I thought this must be better than this. And then I started using more um, software based and stuff like that. So kept diaries. Uh, so yeah, um, it was interesting. But obviously, as projects got bigger, uh, and obviously income started to go up a bit more. Um, I had a good account. The very early days in the nineties, I. I met a girl who had a sister who worked for an accountancy, uh, and I went along to them in Warsaw, got along with them, met the chap. Uh, 27 years later, still my accountant. We get on. He does a good job. He reminds me. He, I, I can't fault him. Uh, some companies I know, they jump from accountant to accountant to accountants. I've worked in lots of accountants. They say, oh, yeah, bring your business over to us. We'll look after you. Uh, finding a good account, finding a good accountant in business is absolutely because they will help you all through the tax fields, the, the nightmares and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So they do hard, you know, obviously they have to charge for it, but they do all the hard work. So take, that takes the pressure off really. And any, anything I've got relating to tax or any problems or self-employed, I, I'm on the phone to them or an email. They help out. Of course, mm-hmm. uh, the past, the past 12 years, 13, I think it's about 12, 13 years now. Because uh, all the companies um, I work for and customers I haven't bought, they're all uh, commercial-based. So didn't really do many domestics. Um, they So they all said, oh, can you, any chance you could go VAT? VAT, because we want to claim back, you know. And I also thought, like, going at the time, my income was going up. Like, see, one year was really good. I exceeded the VAT threshold and my account says you've got to go VAT. And of course I went so far over it I had to pay a lot of tax and that sort of killed, crippled me. Yeah. <laughs> so like anybody who out there runs a small company, uh, is VAT, uh, they don't mess around. You've got to be on the ball. Uh, so it's been okay now, 12, 13 years now we've been VAT and, uh, we're staying on top of it. Uh, we've been one day late, uh, and the bill gets all get paid. You get a little letter. It's been there, but the accountants are golden. They really helped me out. Have um, you started utilizing, so like, for myself, I, uh, started utilizing QuickBooks and things like that. Is that, um, been anything you utilize or are you still quite old fashioned with it? Uh, I did use QuickBooks for a bit. I signed up for QuickBooks about three years ago, but never really used it because I, I used like my own sort of template in a way. Uh, and obviously we do everything on spreadsheets and stuff like that. Um, I'm a bit dubious because obviously a lot of stuff now we do is all based on the cloud. So your details are all up there. So I'm a bit old school where it's, it's on the server or it's, or it's backed up to, you know, the hard drive here. And I've got a PA that works, uh, we do everything through email. Uh, so she's been, um, on board now for the past, um, part time, past 15 years, I think. She does a lot of the uh, data, like she prepares all the accounts, prepares the VAT, does the invoicing side. So I send all the raw information over to her, and then she does all the chasing up and stuff like that. So that's yeah. 
that takes the sort of um because that's the, always the biggest burden is is when you work in day and night you for the door is staying on top of your accounts because without doing your accounts and out getting your invoices you don't get paid mm. so but I generally do the chasing up day to day and sometimes stay on top of things sometimes we slip but obviously that's just life really yeah do you kind of manage it with uh, like any estimation software or you uh, do you know do you have like you say spreadsheets for that as well yes I do I um obviously I have to do a lot of quoting, so I use like uh, small quote templates or an email and stuff like that. So I try to be a lot of my stuff is for email uh, to customers. Uh, I'm quite lucky now, is where I don't really take on many new customers now. I I see myself as more of a maintenance role now to quite a large um, customer base I've got. Uh, I have to look six, about seven or eight large large customers I look after and. The work they provide is enough to keep me going through, you know, you know that, it keeps the work coming in, so they look after me and stuff like that. Mm. Are, you uh, find, are you finding as you've gone along with, like, the maintenance and tools have improved and, and made your life easier, like the so Cat6 connectors and crimping tools and bits and pieces, is that? Yes, yes, definitely. Uh, over the years, um, going back to my very early years, uh, in, in 1985, when I first signed up, we we didn't have battery drills. We didn't have, um, sorry, no, we had one battery drill between six of us. And we used to have a Makita, a Makita hammer drill uh, between six of us. And so you can imagine, like, you've got two or three drills on site between about eight and nine people. Mm. So obviously everybody was handy the raw, like a raw tool, a raw bolt tool. So and that yeah. was. Yeah, I guess you know what one of those is. Yeah, yeah, just about. <laughs> it's like a, like a round blunt chisel, and you'd sit there, it was about five or six mil, and you'd sit there for hours with a lump hammer, twisting it, banging in, and, and then in goes the raw, or, you know, or the wooden dowel, whatever, and uh, and then up goes the containment thing. Mm-hmm. So that was um, interesting. So it got to the point where... There's no way I'm going to work with this for the next year. And another six months of this, it would have done my hands in. So the extra money I used to make on doing helping people out, like doing the odd forer, putting extension and stuff like that. Um, I bought myself some cheap, uh, then was it Black and Decker sort of little, uh, like it not even then it wasn't a, it was an impact drive. It's just like a, a, a screwdriver, electric screwdriver. And everybody wanted to use this. But yeah. the battery was terrible. It lasted like you get about 25 minutes, and then the battery would be dead. And then so I bought two of them, so I had two batteries on the go all the time. Yeah. Then we started to see. But the main tools we used to use there, we had um, Makita type um, uh, battery drills. Then starting to come out, and then we're working on sites, and we start to see like the trades that were working, like like uh, the the plaster borders. We start to see them like with. Um, air guns and uh, impact drivers and thought oh they look good and then I, you sort of follow suit so you like now you, the amazing thing is now is um you, you know on the instagram or any of the web or youtube you see all the new tools now and you get reviews and this like everybody now has got the latest tool so it's like the, the jones and smith you've got to have the new tool and stuff like that have you got a particular tool that's uh, your favorite at the moment uh, yes, yes, my favourite tool that gets me on no matter is a tone tracer. Would you believe it's a tone tracer? 
Um, it's a uh, little magic tool you put, um, I'm sure you've seen them in the electrical industry. Uh, they go back 50 odd years, 60 years. BT used to use them. Uh, they used to call them knockers. Uh, and it used to put like two wires. It admitted like a frequency down two wires and you put like a probe next to it. And that was great. And I use that all the time, especially with cabling, uh, electric cables when you Done a lot of containment or pulled new cables in. Uh, the markings have come off and you can't ID, ID them. So it's great for just buzzing them. Obviously mm. not used on live circuits. But I'm, I'm old school where I use uh, side cutters a lot. So yeah. I tend to use side cutters for everything, like for stripping, clipping and stuff like that. Uh, so yeah, and a good set of screwdrivers. I, I go for screwdrivers probably every three months I'll change them. So try and get a good set. You can, yes, you can um, fill your bag, you know, your toolbox or bag with all the latest tools, and yeah, I'll use that one, use that one, that one, that one. Uh, unfortunately, I had to succumb to the scumbags out there over the years, where you have your van broken into and they take everything. With the expensive tools you build up over the years, they take the whole loss and you start again. Yeah. Did you uh, luckily have um, insurance? I did. I um, it ha- uh, it was a pre uh, I to be back. It was in I think it was two thousand seven actually. Um, no, before then, sorry, it's about two thousand four. I was I got to know a guy in Manchester, so I used to do a lot of work around the Manchester area. I stopped off at uh, like one of those fast food uh, McDonald's on the on the um, uh, A six, and then unfortunately, I, somebody must have followed me. Uh, I came out with some food before I uh, took the journey back over. Then I was living in North Derbyshire before I set off. I grabbed some food. And then as you walk back to the vehicle, you, you, you're operating the fob and the, none of the doors are opening. I thought, what's going on here? And then to my horror, the back door was open. The locks were popped and everything. Everything I got, tools. Um, I just collected. It's gone back. And two laptops, test tools, Cat5, Cat6 tester, you know, which was about three grand. All went. All went. Did you yeah. manage to recover any of them? No, no, it went. Um, well, I had a lot of the insurance didn't pay out. They paid about two hundred pound out. It didn't cover it, so I was really upset over that. So, and then I went for a period where I didn't want to buy any expensive tools. I just bought some cheap um, drills and stuff like that because I've got this fear while I work in Manchester, I'm going to get they're all going to get knocked off. So you put the, the usual van safe and stuff like that. Uh, had the window put through, you know, it's obviously tempted, so you can take your tools. And I thought, I don't want this anymore. I'm fed up with it because it does get to you because you just want to earn money. You just want to put money on the table. You want to pay your bills, provide food for your family and stuff like that. You know, I just, it was just, uh, some of the bad times already. Um, you know, I went and bought, spent 500 pounds, went out and bought new tools, new tool bag, some new drills because at the end of the day, I had work to complete. I wanted to make sure these jobs got done on time. Because uh, the, the time clauses and in between, because you're always involved with projects that like don't have a lot of time on, so you would like get them in as quick as you can, stuff like that, within reason. Mm. Just find one to move and stuff. There were some nice jobs where you did have time. You could sort of, uh, you know, spend more time doing good quality installations and stuff like that. What do you enjoy about your job and the electrical industry? The electrical industry, um, it's, I've been involved now mainly. The electrical industry, I would say now, predominantly now, is taking the main role now within my day to day, uh, stuff I do. I've started to do 
the electrics came on board early to 2010, 2011. That's why I, well, we used to do office refits. So that was great because while we're doing the, the containment for any data, so we might as well put the mains in data. So we used to, I used to quote for that and the lighting. Uh, obviously having two electricians on board at a time. The other one had gone off and done insurance work. I'll say the chap that used to work for me who then disappeared and left me in that situation where, you know, I couldn't find, I mean, it's quite funny. You offer guys uh, work, uh, electrics, paying the, the, the national rate and they're just like, what? Well, no, I'm not interested. So trying to find decent engineers, uh, having, uh, like I've always had a couple of guys working for me, but I used to give them like, uh, small installations. Uh, and I used to get complaints from customers. I thought, this is not good. And these guys have been doing it 20 years. So you'd think they'd have a, an air of skill about them by now. Mm. Uh, but um, it was a case of like, they started off good uh, and the payments. And then, yeah, we've done that, we've done that, done that. I used to say, can you send photos, please, and stuff. Because these jobs would be up north or be like um, anywhere in Yorkshire, really. So it was something I didn't want to keep driving up there and checking on them all the time. So it, it was a bit hard to... Uh, you know, like you relied on their, you know, responsibility and tenacity really to like run those small jobs and stuff like that. Yeah. They, they were like not clipping cables above the ceiling. I've seen one was clipped, uh, it was tied to mains cables. I just, it's just, it was my name that really was at risk here and, and reputation really. And, uh, and so I had to let these guys go because it just carried on. They were just getting worse. So I might, I might just take you back to the question. What do you enjoy? <laughs> Oh right, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know. It's I've still got this massive thrill where uh, if I get up at two in the morning or three in the morning and I drive to the side of England to do a job and come back, it's I think it's working with my hands is the main thing. Knowing that like you've got large companies or small companies relying on you really that you go in there, you put their network in, you put their mains in, and then they move office and you look back. And you, you just basically, you take, um, credit for and, you know, responsibility for what you've done, uh, and uh, an enjoyment of it as well. Uh, not every job goes right. There are always problems. Uh, but yeah, I still enjoy what I do really every day. I'm finding hard now because obviously I'm getting mid, mid 50. So I have my health to consider. So there's some customers and some jobs now. I'm trying to cut down the distance now gradually because I've seen some city uh, I think in the early days I covered uh, I think I covered something like 90,000 miles in one year as well as doing a job I don't I don't think we're getting delivery drivers doing that sort of mileage <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah so is that where you see yourself going then obviously winding it down a little bit more well yes we are but obviously hence uh, my old trading name was John Bagley Communications and I'm now moving over to the new name of JB Tech because the the role I'm involved with is you know, a lot of stuff really because you you're doing full scope electrical installations for small businesses. Uh, we've got fire alarms on board. Uh, we've got data communications. Uh, alarms is another side we do, and the other big side of now is CCTV. I have a lot of, uh, I've got about several schools on board that I work alongside with and help them out and quite a few industrial businesses. Uh, I try not to take like now, I'm staying away from big projects. Um, AICRs, big companies that, you know, I, I've got a few on my books at the moment, which I'm trying, I'm 
the real good customers get a lot of work out of them, but it's a case of like now their uh, electrical installation uh, is being done by several contractors. It's been done by themselves a bit, and it's a bit of a mess. And I've just carried out an, uh, an AICR earlier year, last year, and we've got lots of faults. I've, I'm just dealing with a lot of the C1s, and I've just got to do the C2s. So, but unfortunately, they've gone through this um, time period where they've got work on, but don't have the cash, got cash flow. And plus with this COVID-19 that started, it's really hit them hard. Uh, they've really neglected their infrastructure over the years. They've got a lot of machines, uh, heavy machines as well, or a free phase. I've recently done um, a small um, built-in inverter, controlled inverter for their... They, they had a, an accident uh, where one guy got injured through just a small injury, but unfortunately his health and safety got involved with them. And the, basically they went through the factory and they had to put massive uh, air, air ex, um, extrusion systems in and stuff like that. So that cost them quite a lot of money. So I had to do all the first fixes for the mains and sensors and stuff like that, for the motors and stuff like that. We ended up, they fitted this motor, it was on the contact app, but every time you turned it on, the whole office shook. Because it was like a seven, <laughs> it was 7.2 kilowatt like, you know, I thought, no. So I had to build a variable speed controller for them. Uh, and th- and that's where I like I like little things where you're using your experience and knowledge to design something. So you're looking at the regs, you're looking at you're looking at drawings. This is how it's done. You're looking at the manufacturer's instructions, and then you're piecing it together. You then you you're getting all the all the quality stuff that you need to go along with it. Thermal load protection and overload, the right ratings of conductors and stuff like that, uh, and building stuff like that. Um, I, I want to sort of still, it's still going to be doing as I am, but we're still going to be involved with the electrical side and, uh, and the, and the sort of light security, like the, the audio visual side as well. We're good for another 10 years and then I'm going to be looking at retirement. Then I just want to work part time and just, you know, I don't think I'd ever, I, I don't think engineers ever retire. There's always a need. There's always somebody who nags you to want to do something. And when people get to know of your experiences and stuff like that, so you're always involved in something. My dad was a Stevie Jack and a drinker, and uh, he worked with asbestos a lot. We used to play with asbestos. So if you, <laughs> if God, if people could see what we used to do as kids, and you know, with asbestos sheets, my dad used to bring home. We used to break them up and play with them, and you know, mm. don't know what sort of damage he's done. Uh, unfortunately, my dad died very young at the age of 44. Was taken. Uh, he was in hospital with cancer so, at the time. Uh, it's it's a shame really because the later years we got on really well, and so he became a real nice chap. And so two three years later, unfortunately, he passed away. Yeah, so 24 years ago now. So going going back like people, I thought like the business was stable last year. I decided to take on an apprentice. Uh, electrical installation through the college, but she, I took on the female apprentice, she was my niece. Uh, my brother spoke to her about it, and I thought, yeah, we'll take it on. Um, but I always made this, uh, rule many years ago, don't employ family. Because mm. <laughs> they take liberties and stuff like that. Not always, no, there's some good family companies out there I work for that get on really well, but I've had some, uh, bad experience working with, like, members of family working with me and taking them in and stuff like that. So I just set a general rule. Yeah. And I felt like, uh, she worked with me for, uh, about six months. Um, college. 
and she she was able to terminate sockets, do containment, put trunking up and stuff like that. And I wanted her to push them to do more. I wanted to do well because our industry does need more females, very male, male, you know, ran. And it, it was quite surprising because when she did come on site with me, uh, the, you know, the difference how customers treated her and nicely and stuff like that. Mm. I, I always says that if you could get yourself qualified, get yourself into a niche. Because I didn't want her to work with me all the time. I wanted her to like have a broadened experience. So, but unfortunately, with um, with personal things and, and her attitude and stuff like that, I just decided it wasn't for us. And I didn't want a community. I didn't want a relationship where we were volatile with each other and stuff like that. And because I've known her since she was young, so. Mm. I decided really I had to let her go. I spoke to the college about it. They found a new position and she's happy now working for another electrical contractor. And I think that's good for her because she needs to understand the morals and obviously it is hard out. It's not an easy ride out there and it is hard work, but it's a rewarding career eventually. Mm-hmm. When you're jumping from trade to trade and you're not doing electrics day in, day out, you tend to forget quite a lot of the BSM671. So now I'm now looking at this year of redoing some of the qualifications again, just for sort of CPD, sort of like, you know, assert my knowledge a bit more. Uh, I do want to do the 2396 probably, um, probably later, probably early next year. No, because obviously it's going to be tough times at the moment to get back on our feet. I've got several companies on, uh, that I know will be making people redundant and that will also affect me because they won't be spending money on projects and stuff like that. That will affect me big time, you know, in all areas really. So I've been lucky in a sense where I've got several domestics on at the moment, um, which is interesting because it's not a field, uh, it's not a field I like, but it's money and it's interesting. And I take my hat off to all those guys out there that do this day in, day out. But it's a job at the end of the day, and it's a job I enjoy. Uh, so, yeah. It's been a fascinating conversation, and I'm sure we could probably go on for a, a good while longer, to be honest. I've, yeah, Gary, I've skipped loads of stuff. There's lots of people throughout my career I've met, I've gone with, I've been influenced. I've met a few, we've had a few superstars on board. I, I find myself uh, listening to your Series 1 and the people you've had on board. I can relate to quite a few of those characters, what the same experiences and stuff like that. It regards it's been through communication, but it's been one of those trades where I've been dipping in between like, uh, uh, communications and electrics. Um, I often wondered if I'd gone down this route or that route, where I'd be today, but I'm here today because I still enjoy the job, I still provide a service. I, you know, I'm always trying to improve things. And yeah, I, I just hope we can still continue to service you know, the customer base I've got. My other passion is um, I live on a heritage uh, railway next to next to a heritage railway, so I'm in sort of actively involved with them beyond the scenes and the maintenance. I'm slowly rewiring, rewiring some of the buildings and stations. So you might see some of the pictures appear on. Okay, I'll keep um, an eye out for that. Yeah. Uh, there might be some back there someday. It's an installation that's gone on because of lockdown. I've managed to sort of like. Just put it on hold for a couple of months and we've dealt with sort of more important things. Mm. Uh, it's coming to an end now, so there'll be a sort of like a video on that. Um, it's quite funny. Years ago, I did think about uh, maybe I should start recording some of this, like the the day in the life of, in my eyes or something, what I would call myself, because of a jobber. 
really, because you're jumping from trade to trade. And it would have been different. I'd, I'd gone through YouTube, looked through the internet, there was nothing. And then, like you say, three, four years ago, there was hardly anything out there. And then now, you type in anything now, you've got hundreds of people on there recording, so I might just be the one on there, so no. Um, yeah, that's fair enough. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting. I'll, I'll leave all that to the, the guys out there. And unfortunately, some of the sites I work on, I, I, you can't really film on sometimes, stuff like that. So, yeah. Yeah, I'm sure that is, um, that's very hard work for them, um, in doing that. But I do have one last question. What's your favourite movie? My favourite movie is 39 Steps with Kenneth Mooring, 1959, followed by, it was a hard one, because my other lovely film I can watch endlessly is Ice Cold and Alex, 1958. I've heard of the 39 Steps, I've never watched it. What's it about? It was a novice, it's about a, a German spy, about certain stuff. Um, uh, guy gets murdered, uh, and then they're working like double espionage with German, like, German agents, and stuff that was, uh, uh, like double spy, you know, getting secrets out to the country and stuff like that. So, um, I live in a, my friends call me old, Mr. Oldie. I was born in the wrong, uh, decade. I should have been born <laughs> in the, because uh, I just love the uh, the forties, fifties, and the sixties. Yeah, uh, you know the the periods, the, the time, the time. I think it was a time in Britain when when Britain and the Commonwealth, and we were then a massive country that produced a load of stuff. I'm a great believer in you know with bringing production and manufacturing back to Britain, not relying on the world. Great jobs, great wealth. Yeah, no, that's probably a, a nice, nice reflection to uh, end the podcast on. So it's been, uh, it's been really fascinating chatting with you and uh, going through past times. And I wish you all the best for the future. Yes, thanks very much, Gary. Yeah, thank you, everyone, for listening.